Norwich City are out of the Premier League relegation zone thanks to a memorable 3-0 win at Watford that we are here to review on the latest edition of the Pinkham.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbit and Connor Southwell. We come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM as always. And boys, we have got a, a really positive one to, to review here, haven't we? We're, we're recording this Monday morning. We wanted to sort of let the rest of the weekend play out and... Pad the uh, the results maybe are taking a little bit of a of a shine off, but I wouldn't say too much. No, no, not really. I think um, all you can do if you're Dean Smith, I'm going to sound like a manager now, but is control what what is in your gift, and that is brilliantly over the last two games beating Everton at home. Followed that up with uh, well, a night I think we'll we'll remember for quite a while, really, for for, for a lot of reasons, um, and. Uh, you know, that has put the cat amongst the proverbial. And yeah, fair play. Newcastle did come back and win at Leeds. But then that keeps Leeds in there, which, you know, to take Dean Smith post-match from, from Friday night, you know, he felt if they could get six points from those two games, which they did, you're not just pulling in the three or four clubs that are already around you. You maybe, you look at the table, Everton and Leeds, maybe you're pulling yeah. them in as well. And obviously Leeds getting beat by a relegation rival. They're most firmly in the mix, as I see it. And, uh, and Burnley uh, getting a draw at Arsenal. Well, that's yeah. I, I didn't see the game, but uh, I don't think I was missing much. But um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not overly concerned with Burnley now, really. If I'm honest, I, I mean they've got games in hand, but they look like a club who are racked with all that sort of ownership element off the pitch. And you know, I'd much rather be in Norwich's position than Burnley, frankly. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, you're right. It is nice to be talking about. Um, a feeling that Norwich are actually in the conversation now rather than they're kind of on the sidelines watching all these other teams not being able to control their own destiny. They firmly did that over the last two Premier League games and um, and now it's a very positive mid-winter break uh, building into, yes, they've got the FA Cup tied at the other side of this, but building into Crystal Palace, Carrow Road early in February, what an occasion that's going to be because if they could follow up with a third straight Premier League win, then... Um, then it is definitely game on. It is. As we record, Claudio Ranieri is still in a job, although all the noises coming out from the Watford end seem to suggest that he will go. But he does have a good relationship with the owners and he, he seems kind of steadfast in his belief that he was going to be given a chance to to turn things around after the game. But uh, we shall see. So, yeah, Newcastle win one at Leeds on Saturday and then Burnley managed to get a... Uh, a nil-nil draw at Arsenal on Sunday. So the, the table's got a sort of nice little organisation to it. Norwich up to 17th on 16 points. Newcastle have got one game in hand and are a point behind. Watford have got two games in hand, but they're two points behind. And Burnley have got four games in hand and they're four points behind, which is which is a nice organisation. If they can just keep it like that for a while, then um, we'll, we'll all be um, reasonably happy. But Connor, how... How much have you sort of in, enjoyed the weekend, really, in terms of reflecting on it? I, I was working on Saturday and I just could not get sergeants on fire. Your defence is terrified out of my head. It was just there forever. And all, all the all the sort of national reaction and stuff like that. Um, I, I listened back to the Five Live post-game coverage and things like that. And you could still hear all the Norwich fans in the background. You know, the, the stadium's pretty much empty, but there's about 2,300 Norwich fans. And they stayed for ages to just really savour the moment. And... There's loads of good stats and stuff that I'm sure we'll start throwing at, at this game, but it was just an enjoyable occasion, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was um, traditionally, certainly from my perspective, the type of game that you walk into thinking Norwich are going to lose and lose quite comfortably because history suggests they do in terms of those big games against teams at the bottom, at the bottom of the Premier League. I, I was struggling to recall really the last time that that kind of situation where they were up against a team. Uh, in the round them in the Premier League that they managed to record a win in such a big moment and and that was a big moment I think you, you mentioned those Norwich fans I think there'd still be a Vicarage Road now if uh, if the stewards would have let them um, singing and dancing so yeah tremendous night tremendous occasion um, you know I think it was it probably exceeded everyone's expectations in terms of how we thought it was going to go it was cagey they did have to ride out a, a tricky period towards the end of the first half in particular but as soon as they got their noses in front there was only really one team that I felt was going to win the game and that was Norwich. So yeah, credit to them and the way they approached it and their application. And uh, I thought Ranieri actually summed it up the best after the game. Norwich looked like they were playing as a team and um, Watford kind of looked like a bunch of individuals. And in the end, the, the team came out on top. So 
yeah, a really important victory for the context of what we've spoken about. It's nice to end, I can't even remember the last time Norwich were out of the relegation zone in the Premier League, um, obviously by the start of the season when it's all in alphabetical order. But um, So yeah, it's been a nice weekend, even with the results maybe taking a little bit of a, a shine off it. But, you know, still a big job to do. And, and that Palace game, as Pad says, beginning to look absolutely massive now, given the context of what comes after that. But um, they've got a fighting chance. And I think that's all anyone from an Norwich City persuasion wanted them to give themselves was a fighting chance. It's kind of the first foot on, on the mountain that they need to climb, but um, it's it's a foot further than than three other teams and that's all they need to do. So, um, yeah, I think it's hard not to be full of optimism and positivity after the last two results and that performance on Friday. Yeah, like you, I've, I've had the Rashid on in my head. I've had numerous others. I've had the sound of drumming in my head. It was... Um, yeah. It was a very good night and uh, we were positioned quite nicely because we were pretty close to the away end. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, what, 2,300 nearly, but it, it sounded like 23,000 there um, and that's good to see. And compared to kind of what we've had to speak about in recent weeks about the supporters and their chance and the gallows humour, I mean, this wasn't that. It was togetherness. It was um, yeah, it was a really good night, I think, to, to be associated with Norwich City. Yeah, the atmosphere at the home game against Everton was good. But what I liked from this one is that it felt like the away fans were on form before they'd even scored the first goal. You know, they were chanting Angus Gunn's name when he was stood in front of them. Everybody knew that there was a bit of pressure on him. He he would have known in the back of his head that people were examining his performance. Kenny McLean, when he comes on for Jacob Sorensen, obviously that's a blow. We'll come on to that more but they sing Kenny McLean's song. That's, that is support, isn't it? That's how you do it. You G up your players. And then the players respond, they get the goals, and the atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. And I've seen a few people saying they should let the drum into Carrow Road because that really did set the beat for, for the jumping around and the singing, and it was great. But, Connor, this was literally something you've never seen in your life, wasn't it? Because we have to go back to 1993, when our colleague Pete Raven reckons that Jurassic Park was still in the cinemas. Uh, for the last time, Norwich won an away game in the Premier League by more than three goals. That that, that five one at Everton when Efenakoku scored four goals. So, Pad, that sort of <laughs> shows that all right. It's only it's only a win at Watford, and and that's nice because they've lost the last five against Watford in itself. It's not going and winning at the Etihad or Old Trafford or something like that. But this was this this felt big and. On reflection on Saturday, for me, I, I put this in the six things, actually, that all the good parts of last season, you know, them winning the title, the 7-0 over Huddersfield, all the good bits, without the fans, I don't remember them or I won't remember them anywhere near as much as I'll remember Friday night when the fans made it the occasion that it was and, and, and were combined and united with the players in creating a good occasion. Yeah, that's an excellent point, DF. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking through that season that isn't really going to be remembered as it should be last season. Can you imagine like the Brentford win on, on the run-in, you know, a very tight promotion tussle and Norwich were excellent that night, but can you imagine mm. the din that, that that game would have been played out with? And and then, of course, the you know the other one that springs in mind, mind is the, the masterclass against Huddersfield, how, how loud, how appreciative <laughs> that home fan crowd would have been watching those goals rain in that night. So, yeah, it's an excellent point. I think... Um, and I did feel that pre-match they were they were on it and they were really driving the team forward and and you need it and you know people might you know think when players talk about or coaches talk about well, we need the fans and the twelfth man woman child whatever those sort of cliches that it is just that and that it doesn't matter but you know contrast what we saw from off the pitch and on the pitch against Watford to just in recent times, you know, the Palace away game. Um, and we don't need to get into the sort of the, the the issues in terms of squad availability, but just what felt a very big disconnect at that point, and you're not fit to wear the shirt. That was that was a very uh, well-repeated and well-heard chant at Sellers Park. The the individual players who got it in the neck, and and there was a bit more, bit less of that, but still that undercurrent at Charlton maybe even as well in the FA Cup. But, you know... For it to roll on to this point, very short order after that period, uh, it just shows you how things can change. And again, it's the 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 old: do the players drive that? Is it is it up to the players to to get the fans on side, or the fans need to almost lift up the players? And I and I think probably it got to the point where it needed to come from the players, and we saw that at Car Road in that first forty five minutes against Everton. Um, and thankfully, 
they backed it up because that's the thing that you know Connor's alluded to there. How often have you got a performance like that? Probably at Carra Road, and then at this level they go away and the air comes out of the balloon very very swiftly. But you know that first goal, and we'll get into it in more depth, was crucial on the night. But even before that, I, I think I thought the manner Norwich started and the composure and um, just the control that that it was a uh, it looked like from our vantage a group of individuals within a team unit who all knew their jobs understood their jobs and believed they could carry their jobs out. And, um, you know, great credit to Smith and Shakespeare, I think, that, you know, with players now coming back, key senior players coming back, they've been able to mould what was a very polished performance and capped with goals and, and a clean sheet. So um, it's it's tremendous to see. And as I say, at the risk of repeating myself, if they can back that up now against Crystal Palace, then you really feel there's a, a momentum building to to what could be a very special end to the season absolutely now i just wanted to give a couple of shout outs unusually um i ended up on a, a, a bit of a facebook conversation with a chap called james balls who travels to and from uh, the newcastle area for home games and he says that he always listens to the pink and podcast on his on his long journeys in the car uh so wanted to say thanks very much to to james for listening and uh also um i quite often get messages from uh, john osborne on twitter who's always very keen to know when the next edition of the pod is out so thank you chats for very much for, for listening and um it just reminds me really we've done this a few times in the past but uh we're always keen to hear from you guys in terms of where where you listen to the pod from if you're listening in somewhere quite quirky i think we had a, a few from like a, a caribbean island and somewhere in the sort of very obscure in the pacific and zimbabwe and all sorts of things before didn't we so yeah if you if you're listening to uh to the pod in in some uh, surprise location then then do get in touch and let us know but i think we should probably start the uh the sergeant party really shouldn't we because um He's the uh, he's the man who's made all the headlines nationally. Really, I mean, the amount of love that Josh Sargent has got for for <laughs> that's something that Jamie Carragher has had to learn to do, isn't it? Say Josh Sargent. <laughs> you have to leave the little pause between. But he's now getting a lot of really positive attention. A little bit embarrassing, Connor. I think for the USA that he'd not been in the last two squads. They actually confirmed their squad for they've got three world cup qualifiers first one's on friday against el salvador i think he is on standby but eight minutes after they named the squad he scores his first premier league goal and is getting all that love and uh praise for how brilliantly he managed to squeeze it in then he goes and scores the really impressive header as well but the fact that if you're a usa fan and you see them playing on friday but you've seen a guy who scored two goals in the premier league on the friday night surely you're going to be thinking well, where's Josh Sargent? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you are. I mean, it, it, I, I'll try to stick up for them a little bit because I, I would argue that maybe before this this game that there was maybe no real evidence that certainly as a central striker, he would maybe offer the goal threat that, that we hoped he would. And, you know, we've spoken about him a lot on this on this podcast. So maybe, maybe I'll stick up for them in that regard. But you're right. Uh, and this is the kind of performance that he'll need to produce on a on a more regular basis if he's going to get back into his kind of international fold. Um it was just he was he was excellent. I, I thought, and it wasn't just the the two goals. There was a, a couple of surges in the first half, which were really positive. There was a little work out of possession that he did was really good. Um, but he really I, a penalty uh, in like the first minute, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. He he just looked like uh, it, it was it was kind of his night, and it, it, it looked like that from kind of the first the first few minutes. Um, and he's had to be patient, and he's had to endure a lot of criticism and let's be honest, ridicule as well at times. I, I think that's fair to say, but he's not once um, kind of shied away from it. He, he's continued working hard. He's, he's a willing runner, as we know. He's bit, been a little bit unlucky as well with the bounce of the ball and obviously that miss against Brighton, which was um, which was massive. And, and if anyone deserved that ball to hit his foot and, and hit the underside of the bar and bounce to the right side of the line, I think it was probably Josh Sargent after everything that he's had to to deal with this season. Um, it was just a, a really glorious goal and, and a really glorious finish. I've, I've not seen, maybe you guys will shout at me, maybe the people listening to this will shout at me, but I've not seen an Ori City player ever score a goal like that, certainly in my lifetime, um, in, in terms of that style. It's it's a really unique strike, I think. And, uh, you know, there's definitely luck involved, but he's got he's got his, his leg that high up in the air. He's made contact and it, it, the way he almost cushions it, and takes the pace off it, just completely catches the goalkeeper out. Um, 
and, and you know, fortunately, it bounced the, the right side of the line. Um, the second one for me, though, is is probably more impressive because that's a proper centre-forwards goal, as you referenced, Dave. That's, I mean, we'd associate that kind of goal with Grant Holt, Ewan Roberts, um, other Norwich City strikers of, of yesteryear, really. And it was, I mean, his jump's almost completely fueled by confidence and belief that he, he just go from that first goal. And, um, you know, I, I, we, we were speaking to some people in, inside the club before Christmas who felt that, actually a goal would maybe change how people viewed him, but but also his game as well. And um, it seemed to, on the indication of that second one, do that. And and what we saw him do was make more intelligent movements. It was it was maybe about making his runs a little bit later, timing his runs a little bit differently. We saw that with both the first and the second goal, um, which allowed him with the first goal to deal with a cross, which, let's be honest, wasn't great. He made it look great, but it wasn't. It was, it was probably a bit behind him and he was probably expecting it to be to be flashed across the floor by Pukki and it wasn't. Um, uh, but he dealt with it and he improvised and it was a brilliant bit of improvisation. And the second one, uh, the ball is is almost uh, with Kamara by the time he he kind of begins his run. It's it's an excellent um, timed run and because he times it that way, he gets the jump on Kamara and and he gets a real real height on it and connects with the header beautifully. So a really impressive set of goals. He deserves them. And and hopefully now this is the start of, of Josh Sargent in the Premier League for Norwich City. And we see him go on and, and score more goals this season. But um, yeah, the narrative and obviously the surroundings of him becoming a dad a week or so ago, uh, I, I don't think he could have written it. So really pleased for him. But yeah, he, he will have his eye on probably not just the USA becoming a USA regular, becoming a Norwich regular as well. I think there's probably been some debate around his role. He's obviously been playing on the right side. I think we're all in agreement that that is where he's looked best this season rather than a central striker. But with Norwich playing a two, it's not beyond the realms that he could um, work his way back into that at some point. So, yeah, a really, really good night for him. Really pleased for him after everything he's had to endure this season. And, um, yeah, hopefully we see him go on a little bit of a run of goal-scoring form, um, if not performances like we've seen with Adam Eder over the last three games. And uh, and that's that ultimately will be a good thing for Norwich because we've spent so long discussing where the goals are going to come from and the fact that beyond Timo Pukki, they didn't really have one. Well, in the last two games, Josh Sargent and Adam Eder have come up trumps and that's uh, that's that's really important from uh, kind of this, the perspective of, of Dean Smith, I suppose. Yeah, I think Smith will be perfectly happy for him to not go away, won't he? I mean, it might mean he, well, probably would mean he'd miss the FA Cup game. He should be back for the Palace game without a problem. But yeah, with COVID and all these sorts of things, if you're Dean Smith, you're quite happy for him to not be getting on a plane at the moment, aren't you? And, and resting up and conserving some energy because that's the the key part of his game. A, a two-pronged question, I suppose, for you, Pad. Firstly, on reflection and seeing all the replays, do you think... Pookie was lucky to get away with the challenge with Kamara because I felt in real time like he was already going down, like he was trying to win the foul. But the more I look at it on the replay, I just think I think it was the right decision. But I think probably eight or nine times out of ten it gets given. And secondly, I said this in the car and um, I'll bounce this back to Connor afterwards as well. But I still think that Pookie's goal at Newcastle was better. I still think that's the goal of the season at the moment. I've seen some people talking about Sargent as being a Puskas award contender. I think because like Connor set it up there in terms of improvisation and, and an adjustment, I think there, there was a degree of, of luck to it. It was wonderful and it looked brilliant. And, and because of the narrative around it, because we're all so pleased for him that it broke his duck and he's, he's away in the Premier League and stuff that we've all probably celebrated it more than, than would it would have been if it was his 12th goal for Norwich or something like that. So, yeah, the, the foul and, and and where does it rank for you? Well, take the second one first. I mean, also the context of, you know, that goal in that game, what it meant as well, I think that elevates it as well. You know, goals for me, it's the aesthetic of the goal, but it's also the context and how important they are. You know, Nathan Redmond's goal uh, to make it 2 at the playoff final after a brilliant team goal, that it that what that meant essentially more or less secured Norwich in the Premier League. But ultimately you break it down. He's hit a ball, angled it across the keeper from 16 yards. It's not a, not mm. aesthetically a great goal, but uh, what a goal in Norwich's history. Yeah. This in time, as I say, you know, let's not get overly carried away because they need to back it up now. But if Norwich in May were looking back and they are in the Premier League, that goal right there, that could could be the watershed moment. As much as the Everton one was a line in the sand to go to your direct rival and perform like that, um, and that for that to be the first goal in on the way to that win, that could in time go down as a as a massive goal. Um, I, I 
I don't know. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really willing to say that that was pure luck or that he, you know, he didn't mean that. I thought, I thought it was an excellent goal. I thought it was an excellent piece of improvisation. I think he meant it, but I just think there's a there's an element of because he had to improvise. You can say that about any, you, that about any you know, trick type goal, can you? That there's an yeah. element of, you know, it, it, it there needs a bit of a. I mean, the fact that it kisses the underside of the bar instead of the top of the bar and flies over, or it. Yeah. kisses it at an angle and it bounces down on the line and comes out. You know, they're all elements that you couldn't really control. But I, I just think, thought to, to, to have the speed of thought, you know, um, and the agility and the athleticism, um, because he's obviously, you know, if you look where he's connected, you know, it's, it's quite high up on his body, obviously, as well. I think all of those things, to compute that in the fractions of a second of the ad from the time that Pookie's ball comes back from the byline on, I just think that's, a, that's an excellent goal. And for me, the more, the most, more surprising element is it's, so far removed from the, the, as I described it at the weekend on the app, the brain freeze and it, uh, we saw against Brighton where he had essentially an open goal. And I still don't quite know now how he ended up executing <laughs> it in the manner he did. But is he, they always used to say about Ian Wright, actually, prolific goal scorer, but he needed to be, it was almost Andy Cole, another good example, Andrew Cole, United. Um, they, if they had too much time to think about it, they were never quite as, as, as deadly as a striker. And, we really haven't seen enough of Josh Sargent in terms of goal scoring to sort of maybe make that definitive conclusion. But is he an instinctive type of finisher? Um, if he has to think about it, if he's going through on goal, if he's got time to see the keeper advancing or time to take a touch, doesn't look to be as convincing. But but there, where it was no option, he couldn't take that ball down. You know, he, he literally had one one attempt at trying to get that ball on target and, uh, and it paid off. And yes, okay, as I say, there was an element about how how beautiful it looks when it kisses the bar and bounces down. I mean, that just added to the sort of appeal of that goal. But um, but the header was was tremendous, a tremendous piece of athleticism as well. Again, to time the run um, and to get that high off the deck and then control that header. It is, it's just completely out of kilter with what we've seen from that man in terms of a goal-scoring threat. So, so will the, for me, it's will the real Josh Sargent stand up from now? And you just hope it is the confidence he needs to go on because there's no doubt those two goals tell me that there's there's a technique which hitherto we probably haven't seen anywhere near enough of that he can actually score goals at this level and uh, and that is a bit of a revelation because as Connor rightly said talking about the US situation I don't I don't think he really had done enough prior to to be anywhere near the US squad because you know he's offering offering very little in terms of goal threat up to Vicarage Road and what we saw there so um yeah, I'm final one. I mean, is it? Yeah, again, you know, it's the debate aesthetically. I think Pookie's is a bit. The technique on that is is unbelievable. What what a finish that was. But for me, I'd still go with Sargent because of what it meant in the context of that game. But yes, okay, that salvaged a point against Newcastle in a game they should have actually won, given how that played out with the man sent off early on at St James's. But how big that game could be for Norwich at Watford, that goal, I think, uh, that edges it for me. And really, there's not too many other contenders in terms of goal of the season so far. So I might slightly disagree with you, Dave. I'm going to go, that is, for me, the goal of Norwich's season so far. There we go. That's what it's all about. A bit of debate. I mean, yeah, it's going to sort of be iconic. The the freeze frame of when he's just making contact and his arms in the air. It looks like he's doing the tango, doesn't it? It's it's a brilliant image. Um, we tweeted Ewan actually as well um, about what he thought of the goal, and he said that's how you attack a ball. Into and then uh, a few hand clapping emojis in terms of the the second one, the header, because that was uh, that was a really satisfying goal as well. Rashitza did well, decent pass from McLean down down the left as well. But we've gone down this route now. Then then Connor, what what are your thoughts? Because I just think with the Pookie one, yeah, because that overall with Newcastle, it, it, the, the narrative of it ended up being negative, didn't it? Because that was such a big missed opportunity. They really did mess up that night. But just the purity of the volley from Pookie, he really did put it postage stamp top corner. I, I still that would still just get my vote for goal of the season if we were doing it today. Yeah, it's 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 a nice first of all, it's a nice debate to be having after yeah. nine hours of football <laughs> without a goal. So I'm glad we're actually talking about this and, and we actually have some goals to rank first and foremost. But um the, the, the thing I, I have with it, I keep coming back to the uniqueness of it and the fact that I've not really seen a Norwich player do it before. I have seen a player score goals like Timo Puki scored against Newcastle, so maybe that is what's placing it above it in my mind. Um, 
I, I just think it's, uh, I mean, they're, they're, to be fair to, to Sargent, I think there are, as Pad alluded to, I think there are elements which helps. The fact it hit the underside of the bar instead of kind of looping into the net quite slowly, I think it just adds to the aesthetic of it. The fact his leg was so high, um, the general physics of it, I think, was 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 good, which is probably harsh on Pookie because, as you say, the strike was so sweet and he, you know, he, he connected with it so well. It was, he was probably the only player that night from a Norwich City perspective that could have done what he did in that moment. Um, and once again, we we talk about Norwich City goals and big moments in seasons. Timmy Pukki's involved, irrespective of if, he, if he's scoring or not. But yeah, I mean, back to the, to, to the debate, I think I probably side with Pad and put the sergeant one ahead of it just because um, ba- basically I, I try and rank goals on what I think um, I probably or people generally couldn't do. I think, you know, you could probably hit a strike like Pukki if you tried 20 times. I'm not sure if you tried 20 times, you could maybe do the sergeant one. I certainly couldn't anyway. Um, Maybe I'm thinking about it too deeply, but yeah, in terms of uniqueness and whatnot, I think I'm ranking sergeant just above, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you. I like it. It's a good debate because I I, I hate when on like radio shows, they stilt debates and they just take opposition sides. And But we've just done that naturally there, which I think is always better. And I'm sure there will be um, a split down the camp in exactly the same way amongst our listeners. So let us know. Get get your tweets in. Uh, where, where's your vote going for the season? Let's hope there's some more contenders <laughs> in the uh, remaining 16 games. But the first Norwich, or the, sorry, the youngest Norwich player to score a brace in the Premier League since Dean Ashton. So that's not um, bad company to be keeping either and uh, pretty clearly everyone's man of the match and and the whole Norwich City community I'm sure are totally united in being very very happy for that young man 21 just had his first kid um, he said after the game that it's a, a little girl called Romy and um, he was looking forward to getting home to uh, to his wife and, and baby so that he could uh, you know really uh, s- sort of savour savor the occasion and, and yeah hopefully better times ahead for him because that was a difficult first six months. That that Brighton miss will have haunted him quite clearly. Um, but he's far from the first Norwich City player to have a difficult start to their to their career with the club. And well, Ewan is a perfect example. Ewan is totally has said many times that his first season was a bit of a disaster <laughs> with the club, um, and he really didn't show what he was he was capable of. But from there, we all know he went on to be an absolute solid gold legend. Right, let's just look at the game a bit more, a bit more widely then, and and pad the the sort of big, I suppose it didn't, not necessarily a turning point, but the big incident from a Norwich point of view after a bright start was Jacob Sorensen having to go off eventually in the twenty first minute. Kenny McLean coming on. We're waiting to hear um, how bad Sorensen's uh, injury is, aren't we? But I sort of felt for Kenny that he knew coming on at nil nil, if they'd have lost that game. He knew full well that he was going to be getting a lot of the blame for it, didn't he? Yeah, no doubt about it. But also the the way the game shifted, the dynamic, because mm. it was almost um, pre-Sorensen. Norwich, as we said earlier, started the better of the two sides. Dean Smith talked about, um, they were very keen, he talked about setting traps in terms of how they pressed and where they pressed. They wanted Norwich, sorry, Watford's back four to have the ball. Um and they achieved that brilliantly. And, and the turnover potential, you know, releasing the lights of Rashita, releasing the lights of Sargent, you had Ida dropping deep, Pookie with his movement. It just felt very fluid, very promising in terms of the final third. And there was glimpses of that. And actually the incident in which Jacobs got the injury was him mm. going, pressing on the edge of the Watford box, block tackle, ball pops back out, Sargent passes it through to Rashita. He clips it over, first time right foot from the edge of the box. And he tried to play on, um, but he wasn't able to really. And he, he had to give in in the end with what Dean Smith said was suspected medial ligament damage, which would be concerning, no doubt about it. Um, and I'm sure we'll follow, find out in due course how long he's going to be out. Um, hopefully it's it's more positive than not. But uh, but then, of course, they make the change, enforce change. And really, from that point to the end of the first half, Watford got on top. And, and it was Norwich pretty much pinned inside their own third and and as Dean Smith said he just felt that collectively they, they just allowed Watford to play out a bit too easy um, they were getting the ball wide 
with a, with a lot of regularity and balls were coming into the Norwich box. He said they had to ride their luck a couple of times um, and and essentially got them in at half time and had to to reset the messaging. Him and, and Shakespeare and Liam Bramley, you would assume the new first team coach, to to get back out on the front foot and get back pressing high with aggression and intensity. And I think I can't remember what time minute the first. Sergeant goal, but it was about the 51st, was it something like that? Yeah, so it was very, exactly. very soon, very soon after half time, having got back on the front foot. And, and of course, McLean, you know, we talked about Pookie's role, but it was as a result of a McLean heavy pass, actually. And, you know, there's some great footage of him with his hands on his head when what should have been a <laughs> ball through for Timu to have a chance, pushed him that far wide that McLean clearly felt the chance was gone head on hand, stood on the edge of the box. And of course, then the reaction when Sergeant does what he does. Um, because he was, yeah, he probably was thinking, well, that might be as good a chance as we get, and I've blown it if you're Kenny McLean in terms of the heaviness of the touch. Um, and he he was a lot better, I think, thereafter as the team were. But uh, I don't know. I mean, do you do you really put it at his door and say, well, if Sorensen has stayed on, they might have continued in that vein? I don't know. I think Watford and Ranieri they would have responded to that opening quarter. I think that they did make a few tactical tweaks, and and I'd probably say it was more a case of what Watford did differently in that second part of the first half rather than simply uh, McLean was a, an inferior option than Sorensen. And, um, but there's no doubt that's, you, know, you can be guaranteed if, the, if not, if that had gone the other way and it was a three 0 win for Watford, <laughs> people would have looked back at the opening 20 and how well they'd played with Sorensen inside and, and deduced rightly or wrongly that Kenny McLean was, was a negative there. So, um, for a lot of reasons, yeah, I'm sure he was delighted because, uh, yeah, it was it was a shame for Jacob because you know he hasn't had the opportunity really to to put, put a marker down as a Premier League central midfielder, and off the back of how well him and Lise Malou played against Everton, you know he'd started again in very positive fashion, and you just hope now that for that lad on a personal level, um, you know he gets some good news really because um, you know he must feel his career really as a central midfield option for Norwich hasn't really got going yet, certainly in the Premier League, and um, you know. If, if well, I won't even you know hypothesise. But if if it was that we you know he's out for any length of time, then you know it might be that his opportunity in the Premier League this season at least has gone. So that would be a great shame because there was there was signs there. And and, and let's ref, let's also name check Lee Malou. You know, Connor and myself was on the Monday Night Club on the app uh, recently and uh, and de- deconstruct his game, and it wasn't a very positive deconstruction. But uh, give him his due. I thought West Ham, there were signs actually, and whether that's maybe the shape they're playing now with a, a two in midfielder a little bit closer together, but I thought it was more aggression to his game without the ball at West Ham and Everton and Watford. You know, there was a great example at Watford where he's tracked back and retrieved the situation. And as the ball has been cleared out and, and the, the players moved to the other end, he's got Hanley slapping them on the back. He's got McLean slapping them on the back. You know, really is almost with him has the penny dropped now and he understands what's required as a central midfielder at this level with and without the ball. Um, you do want to see a bit more from him in a, in a creative sense, but but he's also took a leap forward for me in these last three league games. Yeah, I would agree with that. They, yeah, the header off the line and all that sort of stuff and, and agreed as well. I think Watford, because Lise Malou and Sorensen had started with a bit of control, they decided to start going wide, didn't they? And that's when they started to get a bit of joy. So I, I, I'm with you that I don't think McLean's addition actually changed the game drastically. I think Watford had already started to twig that they needed to change what they were they were doing by that point. Um, and for me, I, I think least if you're going to have a two in midfield, least Malou and Norman for me is is the one that if they can get them fit and firing, then I think that is has got the potential to be a Premier League midfield which can kick them on and and you know as we all are now hoping that they can go on to have some semblance of a decent second half of the season and uh, we shall see a long way to go with that sort of stuff also coming into goal um angus gunn connor um we learned that tim crawl is going to be out for four to six weeks haven't we so he's going to have a little run of it it was his birthday on saturday as well turn 26 so almost a little bit of a, a an early birthday present that he got a clean sheet and that first half he really didn't have a great deal to do did he no i, I thought he was very well protected but I mean, the most important thing when we looked at Angus and uh, and kind of the run that he's been on, I think it was just breaking the cycle a little bit of the goals that he conceded because I think like we talk about Josh Sargent getting a goal, a clean sheet for a goalkeeper, particularly for him in the Premier League. He's he's obviously got very recent, very painful scarring of uh, of games and the goals conceded and 
you know, let's let's be honest, some of them goals in, in recent games from a Norwich City perspective haven't been his fault. And and in the same way, the 9-0 wasn't solely his fault for Southampton. Um, but that's bound to affect you as a, as a goalkeeper, as a player. When if, if you're coming into a team and they're losing and losing heavily, um, you are gonna you are gonna take a knock of, uh, of confidence for that. So in the same way, we're talking about Josh Sargent. I hope we're we're going to be talking about Angus Gunn in the same vein in recent weeks because um, he, he was well protected. There was there was only there was one shaky moment, if we're honest, which was when he failed to to come and uh, and take the ball after Josh Sargent was was attempting to kind of shield it back to him, and that led to again Lee Malou having to clear the ball off the line, but. Even after that, he set himself well again on his line and, uh, and pulled off a, a decent save. All right, it was it was kind of at him, but he still had to get back in, into position and, uh, and be aware of that. So um, I, I was really pleased for him. It was really nice to hear the supporters um, on his side as well, because again, we're talking about players who have had to endure some criticism. Um, he's probably had to endure more than anyone in, in recent weeks because of Obviously, um, the difference with him in the side to Cruel in the side, again, there's plenty of mitigation around that and the fact that Nori City squad was depleted and then Cruel came in, Grant Hanley returned. They looked a lot more um, protected with with him in the goal. So, yeah, I was, I was pleased for him and, and I think that will do him the world of good, if I'm honest, and Norwich are going to need him in, in the next few weeks. Obviously, the FA Cup game against Wolves, another good opportunity for him and um, he's going to have to view this in the same way as Sorensen did, albeit the, the timing of his injury isn't necessarily particularly good because he's got injured at a time where other midfielders are coming back. Well, Angus is going to have a running goal now for for potentially as as many as uh, as what five or six games. So um, you know, it's it's his opportunity to prove that he can be the goalkeeper that we saw a few years ago on loan at Norwich City, and maybe not the one that we've seen in recent weeks. So. Um, if, if he can do that, then there's there's no reason that we're not having a conversation in the next few weeks about Tim Krull and maybe him struggling to get back in because of Angus Gunn being in such such brilliant form. That's where we hope the conversation goes um, and hopefully a clean sheet with the performance that that he delivered. And um, I'll be honest, I don't think he was he was really tested at any point. I'm struggling to think of a major save that he made, but um, the one after you know, the um, after the sort of confusion with Sergeant wasn't there from, um, yeah. from Hernandez, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, the the one I touched upon. Obviously, Hernandez hit the bar late on as well, didn't he? But um, I don't think he really got anywhere near that. Um, but beyond that, I think he'll be pretty pretty pleased. And uh, and like I say, hopefully we can now slowly see a build up in performance and a build up in confidence because I think we all know that there's a talented goalkeeper in there. He's he's been in England squads. He uh, was a, a ten million pound goalkeeper at one stage when he moved to Southampton. So we all know the abilities there. I think it's just been about finding the confidence and hopefully. A three 0 win and a clean sheet away at Watford will um, will help him rediscover that. Yeah, it's all about him finding some rhythm now, isn't it? And the Wolves game could be helpful for him on that front as well. Ahead of, ahead of some tough games, you know, uh, a game against his former club, Man City, not too far away as well, and a sort of reunion with Pep Guardiola. Um, so yeah, lot, lots of interesting elements to this one. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even touched upon it yet, Pad. The the floodlight failure and that twelve sort of nervy minutes or so when we weren't too sure what was going on. Our uh, our boss, Chris Lakey, was certainly getting very nervous back at the office in terms of our deadline, wasn't he? Because <laughs> um, we didn't know how long that was that was going to go on for. But ultimately, um, the the referee, as as I think with most of the decisions, the VAR calls and stuff on Friday night, Mike Dean did the right thing in terms of that, um, that delay in the end, didn't he? He certainly did, yeah. I mean, Dean Smith explained this quite well, actually, in his post-match, that... Um... Initially, it was was guidance that Dean and his official official team uh, officiating team, sorry, were were seeking from the Premier League, and and thereafter they obviously tried two or three times um, whatever switches they had to flick or generators they had to uh, I don't know blow the cobwebs out of or whatever the issue was uh, came back on and then swiftly went back to it felt like it was half half a floodlight was on around the ground so. In each of the pylons, but um, but Dean Smith basically said at that point, uh, Mike Dean approached him and Ranieri, and as long as both managers, uh, obviously in conjunction with their respective teams, uh, were happy to continue, they would play as was with with the light as it was, which was perfectly playable in terms of yeah, maybe not the maybe not the Premier League grade quality for broadcasting uh, games around the world, but but certainly in terms of uh, being able to complete what what was left of that game, which was a fair chunk at that point. Um, and then I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think towards the end, it did it, 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 it kick it back into life and it was full power by the end, wasn't it? So, 
Yeah, I mean, Dean Smith was asked directly post-match, did he fear that game was in doubt? And he said, no, at no stage did he. It was just really seeking um, clarity from the Premier League, from the officials. And then when it got to a point where they're not going to be coming back on full power there and then, him and Ranieri, both happy to continue, um, which was which good to see. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, Thankfully, it wasn't the, the the last time Norwich had a floodlight issue, which was that mm-hmm. memorable for the wrong reasons game against Frank Lampard's derby at Car Road. Uh, the season they went up was it the first time round? The second time, first time round, wasn't it? No, second time round. I'm losing track. First time round, it was. First yeah. time, yeah. Um, where they'd gone off late on in that game, they're leading three two, and then they return and they get beat four three. So uh, thankfully, we'd had none of that shenanigans. It was a uh, just a. Uh, which is another another element to, to a rather unique evening, all told, for Norwich City at, Car- at Vicarage Road. Sorry. Indeed. And four minutes after that delay, Sergeant scores his second. He's doing the cradle the baby celebration, Bebeto style, in front of the uh, in front of the Norwich fans, which is great to see. Four minutes later, Dennis gets sent off for his second yellow card, which I think that was a that was a yellow. Maybe the first one was a, a touch harsh, but it was weird in the in the stadium, really, wasn't it, Connor? Because I mean, there was actually a, a couple of Watford fans came over to us two minutes later or so and and said, "Did Dennis get sent off then?" Like they had they barely even noticed because they were all just so annoyed about being two 0 down and you know booing their own team. They barely even seemed to notice that one of their players had got sent off. It didn't get greeted with much of a reaction or anything, but. Really, I suppose as we move towards a close, we should emphasise that this is similar to the Everton game in terms of this is still this is something to build on, isn't it? They still need to be a lot better than this. Watford were missing nine players in terms of international duty, COVID, injuries. They still, you know, hit the bar. Sissoko had that uh, goal disallowed, which was a lovely finish, um, but it was offside correctly. That was when the floodlights came back on, wasn't it? Just after that goal, it was almost like they were celebrating. The lights came on and then they noticed the linesman's flag was up. But you look at the passing stats, all those sorts of things. This is hugely encouraging. We're all quite excited, I suppose, at the moment at the prospect of what could lie ahead if they can keep going this direction. But against better teams, Norwich will need to play better than that to get results, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree, and it's it's what four four wins so far this season. Um, they they probably need that again if they're going to stay up. If we if we're being honest, um, probably probably even more than that. I, I would argue. I think if you get to around ten wins, then that's usually enough to to keep yourself in in the division. But what they have done is given everyone some hope, which which wasn't which wasn't it, it didn't exist a couple of weeks ago. It, it was kind of how badly would they get relegated rather than. Um, at the possibility of, of staying in the league and now it's very much flipped so um, it's about utilising this moment isn't it and and that word you used earlier momentum taking that and uh, and bouncing into that game against Crystal Palace in, in a positive vein I, I look at some of the games they've got and you know irrespective of uh, of maybe their form at the moment they've got a real chance to to do something um, and to do something positive and that's the way they've got to view this now as a wonderful opportunity and they've put themselves in a wonderful opportunity it's not it's not uh, this Watford win and, uh, and survival's guaranteed, but what they have done is, uh, as I said earlier, maybe put um, got a foothold on, on the mountain that they need to climb. You look at it, home game against Palace, Southampton away, Brentford at home, Leeds away, um, Burnley at home, uh, Newcastle at home, still all to come. So they've got the games to do it. Uh, I think that's fair to say against the teams that they need to beat in order to stay in the league. So, they need this Watford game and they need it again probably three or four times. Uh, and if they can do that, then we'll be talking about Norwich City in the Premier League for another season. Um, until that, all this is hope and uh, excitement. And um, they've got to make sure that it's utilised in the right way and that supporters are right to be feeling the way they're feeling at the moment. And the huge challenge now for Dean Smith. And, you know, I think you, you did in, in your six things, the comparison between Farker's first 11 games of the season and, and Smith's first 11 games of the season, albeit a lot of context, obviously, in both of those runs. But, you know, you don't have to be an expert to, to see that Norwich have improved under Dean Smith. And it does feel like they've got a fighting chance now and they've got an opportunity to be competitive and they've got an opportunity to go and get more points. So it's up to them now to do it and um, and to cash in on, on this positivity and to keep the run going. Um, the game against Palace is going to be fascinating because if they can beat them, we're talking about three wins on the bounce, obviously heading into a very difficult double header against probably two of the best teams in the world, let alone the country. So um, 
it does feel pretty significant because again, if they can back this performance up with another win, then um, I, I think optimism and hope will 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 increase twofold really, and and we'll be talking about the opportunity they've got again. So, yeah, this is another step on the ladder, a long ladder that they need to climb, but uh, the top is looking a lot closer than it was before the weekend, and and that's the the, the positive thing. Certainly is, and. The Wolves game, the FA Cup game, that is now going to be a real opportunity to prepare for that Palace match, which will be massive. That's the one we're all going to be uh, thinking about uh, as the priority. They've got uh, the potential, hopefully, of Norman, Gilmore, Rupp, Omabamadeli and Zimmerman all playing in that game. Um, Zimmerman played 45 minutes for the under-23s on Friday night as well, so that's encouraging. So then Smith's starting to get a really healthy squad together. So those stats that Connor's mentioned there, Pat, if I, if I give you sort of the, the last word of, the, of this week's pod, I'll just, I'll just go through them quickly. But Farker had 11 games this season before he was dismissed after the win at Brentford, of course, and Smith has now had 11 games as well. He's taken 11 from a possible 33. Farker had taken five from a possible 33. So averaging a point a game, which if they keep that going for, you know, for, for 16 games, gets them to 32 points. So they will, as Connor set up there, they will probably need a bit more than that. You're probably going to need at least one more win, I'd have thought, or three draws if you want to, <laughs> if you want to do it that way. Um, otherwise, it's it's up across the boards, really. Um, in terms of goals per game, they're on 0.7 now, which was 0.45 under Farker. They were conceding an average of 2.3 goals per game under Farker. That's now down to 1.7. So across the board, Stuart Webber is going to be able to point to those statistics and say, look, at the moment, this is looking like the right decision. It, until the end of the season, we won't be able to judge that fully. And I don't even necessarily think this is just a personal viewpoint that relegation is the total barometer on that, because as long as they're competitive and as long as they're fighting for it, then I think most fans can can stomach relegation, knowing about the financial disparities and all that sort of stuff. But yes, in, in terms of those comparisons and, and the growth, and and I guess really to finish on, that we still hope that there's there's more to come from, from both Smith's preparation and from those players. Absolutely. And, and there needs to be. But of all of all that, I would just extrapolate two games. Farker's only win in the Premier League, which was Brentford. And, well, pick, pick Watford if you want. Another away game against the team you would expect, although Brentford has kicked on still. But um, to be in and around and amongst you at the wrong end of the table. And uh, one word, control. I mean... That Brentford win, let's get it right. You know, it was Norwich, um, you know, made profiting in the first half at Brentford, but then the second half was just grim. It was, uh, it really was, you know, a minnow playing a high level team in the FA Cup to bring it right into Norwich's next fixture, which is in the FA Cup. It was backs against the wall, it was harem scarum, it's Tim Krull diving across his line and you know, Gordon Banks esque on occasion. It was just that it was, it was. It was brilliant in terms of the final result, but the manner they achieved that, um, they took so much out of themselves and there was there was a lack of control. There was no game management, if you want to use that phrase. Then you can you know contrast that with what we saw at Watford, which is where we came in on this podcast, where you know, even before the goals, the, the manner of the, the composure that Norwich went about it, you know, the tactical elements that Smith always gives you a little glimpse of in his post match, you know, about setting traps and you know, that direction that they're getting from the sidelines in terms of him and Shakespeare and how they deconstruct games both beforehand and also more importantly, maybe, certainly in comparison to the, the Farker era during the game, you know, the real-time tweaks that they need to make or the the positivity that they need to engender in terms of that group of players in the white-hot heat of these games um, is different. It feels different. And, and just ultimately, it feels like now they have... Uh, a head coach who knows what it's all about at this level. He has kept teams up. He's never been relegated. That's worth reiterating in his career as a coach. Never been relegated at any level. Um, and him and Shakespeare know what is required quite clearly. But crucially, they feel... And Dean Smith's been consistent and, and pertinent. And, and We're not even touched on it today. But, uh, you know, we're getting to the closing stages of a, a fairly nondescript transfer window. But Dean Smith has been fairly consistent. He felt there was quality in this squad. And obviously since then, what's happened is the injuries and the illnesses have, have bit and bit hard. But he feels 
the raw material is there and under his direction, you're starting to now see it when he's got the, the key players available. And of course, Matthias Norman falls into that category and hopefully he continues his rehab and is available from what, uh, sorry, from Wolves onwards. That it's not only that you have a coach who knows what it takes, but he also feels he's got, as he looks across that squad, the raw material to actually put his plans into place. And the evidence of the, I'd even say West Ham. Yeah, okay, West Ham were better in both boxes and they had that quality, but then West Ham are going for a Champions League tilt. So, you know, you're playing the top end of the division. But certainly the, the two games after, Everton and Watford, you know, both off the pitch, tactically, technically, and on the pitch in terms of the quality of the players, Norwich City as a whole look like they are good enough at this level. So now you've shown it. Let's let's see that for the rest of the season. And then ultimately, you know, it might not be enough, but there's no doubt at all that if you get to the level that we've seen in the last two games, they won't be too far away. Yeah, Adam Eder was very close to snatching a draw at West Ham, wasn't he, with that brilliant shot that was tipped onto the post by Fabianski. Um, bad news, though, unfortunately. It, it's I've just had a look at the fixtures while you were talking there, Pat. It's pretty unlikely Norwich will still be outside the relegation zone by the next time they play in the Premier League. Um, the fixtures, Watford go to Burnley on February the 5th, which is when Norwich are obviously at Wolves in the FA Cup, uh, because both of them are out of the FA Cup already. So that's a rearranged game that had been postponed. So that's Watford at Burnley. And then on the Tuesday, the night before Norwich host Palace, uh, Watford go to West Ham, Newcastle host Everton and Burnley host Manchester United. So it's that Newcastle one that I'm probably looking at mostly um, at home to Everton. But at least if they beat them, that would drag Everton further into the mire, wouldn't it? And then Norwich would really know that a win over Palace would be hugely significant because they'd be level on points of Everton. So that just this little run of uh, fixtures since the turn of the year, it's really tightened things up, hasn't it? And teams like Everton, Leeds, Brentford are dropping like a stone. I wouldn't have thought Palace and Southampton, but they're, they're still not quite out of it yet. Um, but Brentford are the one to me that look vulnerable, um, even though Thomas Frank has just signed a new contract and they're potentially about to sign Christian Eriksen, which is be, you know, a, a strange situation, but could potentially a, a real coup if he can rediscover his true form, because we all know that he was a, a very, very top level player before the trauma that he went through at the Euros that, that none of us will ever forget. But we will leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to this week's pod. Uh, I'll just give a quick plug to Pink and Plus. If you haven't already uh, clocked Paddy's interview with Tim Closer, then that's very much worth catching up on. The full video is in the uh, video section of the app. Um, the article, of course, was published last week as well. Tim is on trial at Bristol City, we found out over the weekend. So uh, the potential for a two-year deal in the championship, which we'll, we'll keep an eye on. Nigel Pearson confirmed that after their game. They're sort of lower mid-table in the championship, caught between relegation and, and the playoffs. Not likely to get near either, but that would be interesting to see closer back in in English football. And we've got lots uh, along that uh, similar line that we've got lined up during this two-week break. So do keep it locked on Pink and Plus, uh, $1.99 a month. I'm not sure how long we'll still be offering the 30-day free trial. So if you haven't already given it a, a look, then uh, do head to uh, pinkin.com. There's a tab on the homepage right at the top of the page, which gives you the full explanation about everything. But we're really pleased with how that's going. And we've been getting lots of really, really kind feedback. So thanks very much for, for everyone who's uh, who's enjoying that so far. But for now, Paddy, Connor, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy your winter break. And we will keep the build up to that FA Cup game at Wolves coming over the next couple of weeks. <laughs>